All right, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6 and let's look at delivering us from evil. We've just got a couple more weeks uh, on this, which means we've only got a couple more weeks on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but we're moving through the Lord's Prayer. Christ has told us the things we should be asking God for. And we've been, you know, we've been digging deep into that, uh, digging deep in Scripture to get sort of a solid foundation for, for what we're asking from God when we say to deliver us from evil. We don't just want to say the right words. This isn't just the, by the work worked that we sort of, you know, that the prayer is effective. We want to know what we're asking from God. We want to know, well, if I'm asking God to deliver me from evil, what sort of evil is coming at me. What does the Bible tell us about the things that are that are seeking to devour uh, the woman and her children? You know, what sort of things are coming after us as believers? What sort of evil is at work, not just in this world, but at work against the church so that we need to pray to our Father that he would deliver us from that evil. So we've, we've been doing this uh, in every category. I mean, when we ask, you know, hallowed be your name, we want to know what does that mean biblically? We ask for his kingdom to come. Well, what does that mean biblically? When we ask for his will to be done, when we ask for our daily bread, when we ask all of these things, what does that mean? Not in our hearts, but what does that mean from scripture? Not just what does that mean to us? Who cares what it means to us? What does it mean from God's word? Um, so that not only do we know what to pray, but we know why we're praying it, and we know the heart uh, in that prayer. We know the scripture driving uh, just how to pray that, not just the right way verbally, but the right way uh, in our spirit as, as well. So this most singular of prayers, this most important of prayers, this model for all our other prayers, people always ask me, do you have a good prayer model? And I say, yeah, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, just use that. They're always like, well, what about this? I go, those are fine. But the Lord did give us a model for how to pray. Uh, and when his disciples said, how do I pray? He said, like this. Uh, and then he said it again. So this is a great, this is a great model for every, every one of our prayers should be built off of chiefly this prayer. So all the reason in the world to get as deep as we can into it. And so let's stand together in the honor of reading this great blessing that is the word of God, this blessing that is prayer, this prayer here guiding us in how to ask things from our father. Let's use this prayer guidance again uh, and then look at, a, at, an, at another evil that we've got to be delivered from, or at least a, another section of what we looked at last week. So beginning in, in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us this prayer. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, I do pray today, God, that as we come here in worship and as we sing and we call on all of creation to worship you, as we call on everyone to bow their knee to you, I pray that we are modeling that ourselves. And that we are not just trying to shepherd the world while wandering ourselves. So, Father, forgive us for all the ways in our life this week that we have not worshipped you as the king of our life. Forgive us that far too often our lives are not as worshipful as our songs are. And so, God, I pray that you would take this confession and that you would uh, take this repentance and that you would cause it to bear fruit, that you would help us to be better, more faithful servants of you, 
that would shine as lights in this dark world, not just today, not just in this time, uh, but every day, every moment, whether we're alone or it's just us and our families or standing on a sidewalk proclaiming your glory. Everywhere, Father, in every one of those, may we glorify you. May we be diligent to do all those things, but may we also be diligent to do it in a way that brings glory to you. And that begins here in worship. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so last week we started, we started looking at, at the demonic, uh, which then turned into a, 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 a camping time at the Silks that then led to a lot of stories, so then children didn't want to go to bed uh, as they were, as they were uh, learning about that. So we started looking at the, the forces that Satan employs to sort of do his dirty work. Satan has all of these ways we looked at that, that he wants to attack the Christian, all of these threats, but Satan is not God, right? He is not all-powerful. He's not uh, omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. So he must rely on others to accomplish his desires, to accomplish his goals. Uh, and, and, and he has all these tools to use at his, his disposal. Uh, two main entities that we're going to look at uh, that the Bible mentions specifically that are sort of under his sway uh, of this evil one. Two groups that do his, his bidding and advance his, his war uh, against Christ and Christ's church. One is the evil world, which we will look at coming up. Uh, and the other is uh, the demonic realm, demons, these spiritual forces, these, these cosmic powers. And so we went uh, to the Bible to find out, well, how does the demonic actually work? What is going on? When we talk about demons, we don't want to just, we don't want to just riff theological for a while. Uh, what does the Bible tell us about how demons work specifically, not just in the world, but in their attacks on Christians? And we saw how demons are the agents of Satan, that he is their, their chief, he is their prince, that, they are, that the demons are referred to not just as fallen angels, the demons are referred to as his angels. Uh, and so it's important for the Christian to understand the role of the demonic because in his attack against Christians, we don't fight always Satan, we fight the demonic, we fight Demons, And so we saw how Paul warned the church in Ephesus to put on armor so that we can withstand Satan's attacks. But then in the very next verse, he told us those attacks are going to come from not flesh and blood, but from uh, cosmic powers, from spiritual forces in the heavenly places. So in the war against the Christian, you can sort of think of Satan as the general and demons as sort of his True. So, so as Christians, we can't avoid the demonic. We can't not talk about it because the Bible talks about it. And the Bible talks specifically about the problem that the demonic is for the believer because uh, the demons uh, who is who we're going to go up against, uh, they're the ones lifting the weapons of their prince. And so we need to know how Satan's going to attack the Christians. We also need to know how he's going to bring those attacks about. And he uses the uses the demonic. We looked at that last week and we also began to look at what demons are doing, specifically that demons like their, like their chief, like their prince, demons like to deceive. And so we saw how demons are Satan's agents. And then we saw that demons uh, work to deceive, that, that uh, just as Satan seeks to deceive the world, uh, one of the core areas 
uh, of the demonic is deception as well. And you can see the deception of the demonic in a world filled with false religions that every other religion than the worship of the one true God is at its core a worship of the demonic. It doesn't matter how peaceful it looks. It doesn't matter how sweet it looks. It is at its heart demonic worship. It is giving worship to demons, not just in a general sense, not just in a vague sense or a metaphorical sense, but in quite a literal sense. It is a it is demonic worship. It is a deception that has caused these people to worship that which is not God. These demons have deceived them, the Bible says, and enslaved them. And in fact, we were enslaved once too. It once enslaved uh, us as well, or they did. And that these same deceptions aren't just aimed at the lost world, they're aimed at the church. And so demons don't just want to deceive the lost world out there, world that's already deceived, already enslaved, uh, that demons desire to deceive God's people as well. Throughout Israel's history, throughout church history, there's been this warning about the danger of even the people of God being lured into demon worship. And we saw these passages uh, going all the way back to Deuteronomy, again in the New Testament with Timothy, We saw these these dangers and and we recognized it would be foolish for us to see that throughout the the history of the world, God has, you know, warned his people about the dangers of the demonic and for us to go, oh, but that's, you know, that's not us. That's not, I could never, I could never be deceived by the demonic. That's not a threat to me. And we're going to see a little bit later at the end of the sermon why that's very important for us not to think that uh, because it's going to set us up for all sorts of trouble. But then we ran out of time. Uh, And so we have to finish what we were going to do today. Uh, So let's move the threat up some when it comes to the demonic, because that sounds fun. Uh, Because even though demons are not Satan, and even though he is uh, their prince, that does not mean that demons are these cowering, weak beings. The Bible describes demons as powerful, as very powerful And we need to understand that, that Satan sends the demons, the demonic, to do his work. And they are effective troops. These are not bumbling stormtroopers that Darth Vader is sending out uh, and that just can never hit their target. These are effective troops. These are angelic beings uh, sent to accomplish these things. And they can do some very powerful things. That's what we're looking at today, that demons are powerful and we need to understand that they are powerful and we'll see why in just a second. One of the reasons that demons can deceive the nations uh, and one of the reasons that their deceptions are so, uh, uh, so tricky, we could say, that's a great vocabulary word, uh, is they are often accompanied by powerful signs. Okay. So one of the, one of the reasons, one of the ways that the, that demons deceive the world is they can do things to prove their deceptions. Take, for example, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 16, 14. So one of the methods of, of demonic deception is the use of, of signs. They'll use signs to deceive. So Revelation 16, 14, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the world to assemble them for battle on the great day of the Almighty. Throughout Israel's history, throughout Israelite history, God has has proven that he is God and proven that his word is true through 
Signs and wonders, right? God uses signs and wonders to prove whether it's Moses uh, to Pharaoh or Moses even to the grumbling Israelites. Uh, God uses signs to prove uh, what he says. Well, the demons use signs as well. And take, for example, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, talking about the coming of the lawless one. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. The activity of Satan is accompanied with these things. When Satan does his thing, it comes with power, false signs, false wonders. In fact, these works are so amazing that the Bible says they could deceive Christians to believe them if that were even possible. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And you think that we've, we've seen, we, you see this in the Bible uh, just in an exemplary fashion. Think back to the story of Exodus. And you get to the story of Exodus, and, and we're studying Exodus on Wednesday night, so we, we looked at this just a few weeks ago. Uh, this is why the, the Egyptian magicians can do some crazy stuff and really do some crazy. I mean, they, they can turn their staffs into dragons, just like, just like Moses can. They can do that same thing. They're able to turn water into blood. They're able to make frogs appear out of nowhere. And when it does that, the Bible never says, the Bible says they do that. And it then doesn't go, but we know they were really just, they had some red powder and they put it in the water and made it look like blood. The Bible says they did it. Now we can go, well, we know behind it that there's, there's the, the reason the Egyptian magicians can do these things is because the demonic world is real and powerful. In the Bible, if we just look at, I just looked at some examples of what the Bible says that demons can do. Okay, these are things that the Bible says demons are able to do these things. Demons can make people sick, Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. Demons can make people mute, Matthew chapter 9, verse 32. Demons can make people blind, Matthew chapter 12, verse 2. Demons can give people seizures, Matthew chapter 17, verse 18. Demons can keep people physically bound up, Luke chapter 13, verse 11. Demons can make people incredibly strong, Mark chapter 5, verse 4. Demons can take people out of their right minds, Mark chapter 5, verse 15. Demons can make people hurt themselves and cut themselves, Mark chapter 5, verse 5. Demons can throw people to the ground. Luke chapter 4, verse 35. Demons are able to speak through the mouths of people. Mark chapter 1, verse 34. Demons are able to control animals. Matthew chapter 8, verse 32. Multiple demons can be used to attack a single person. Mark chapter 5, verse 9. Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Demons can even, it seems, uh, in some way tell the future. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. This is why the Bible warns us so much in the Old Testament not to mess around with mediums or fortune tellers. Not because they're not real and not because they're all a bunch of hacks. Not because they're going to take your money and make up some false. It warns those things not because they're not real, but because some of them are very much real. Because they have very real demons behind what they're doing. And they will try and lead you away from God because they can do amazing things. If you went to the medium 
And he was like, oh, I'm talking to your dead cat. And he and you're like, I didn't even never owned a cat. I'm out of here. Uh, you know, if you, if you went to the fortune teller and you're like, oh, I remember one time when you and your, your mother were alone, it was just the two of you and you had that and you're like, I, I, you know, I never met my mother. You'd say these things are, these things are fake. But if they said something like that and it was real and you went, that is true. Oh, great wise one. Tell me more, right? Tell me more about what's going to happen. This is what Deuteronomy warns about in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It says, if a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, all right? So he's not just just a charlatan. He says, I'm going to do a wonder to prove that I'm a prophet. You want me to prove I'm a prophet? Here's a sign that I will do to prove myself. And it comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So you've got this person who tells you that he's going to do some great sign, great wonder, and he does. It happens. It works. But look at what he asks the people to do right after it. He says, come and serve this different God. Right? Come and serve him. What God? Well, The God that's given me this power, right? The God that has enabled me to do this. Not the God that we've been following, some new God, right? This new power. The fact that someone can do something wondrous does not mean that they should be believed. And people always laugh that, you know, Aaron says, you know, we threw our gold in and it turned into a calf. Sometimes I go, you know, that might have happened. Uh, (laughs) Then they said, hey, let's worship this. Behold your God. Uh, Either way, the demonic was like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Because that's what they do. They want to lead people away from the worship of the one true God. So, so, So this person that comes and does this and says, hey, let's quit serving God. Let's serve someone else. A God you do not know is, is deceiving you through a very powerful sign to uh, follow after someone that is not God. So the things that demons can do are real. They They are really amazing and they are really dangerous. And so it's not surprising that when false religions are, are, uh, are born, it, it's not shocking that they're sometimes able to point to miraculous origin stories. I mean, what you, what you have is, is just Deuteronomy 13 at work in real life, just like God warned. I mean, when demons long for the, the birth or co- continuation of some sort of worship of them somewhere, they can use signs. I mean, the, 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 the Bible tells us that, that, that the judgment in Exodus was a judgment on the gods of the Egyptians. And so when those Egyptian magicians are trying to do something to show that their gods are still real, it's not just the Egyptians doing the thing. The judgment of God is against the gods that are the power behind the Egyptian magicians. 
And they didn't want the worship. Because what did God say he was going to do in Exodus? All of Egypt will know I am Yahweh. They will know that Yahweh is Lord. They'll know that. And that means they'll know that the rest of you are not. And so demons can do, demon, I'm not, demons can give people visions in a desert. Demons can make golden tablets appear and the angels of light to go with them. Demons can make statues bleed. None of that would be shocking or would I need to refute that any of that happened. Now we know that demons are not all powerful. Their power oddly has limits. For example, demons can blind people, but it doesn't seem that they can unblind people. The magicians in Egypt can do all those things, but they can't make gnats. They couldn't make gnats. They could do those other things, but they couldn't make gnats. They see the gnats and they go, that's the finger of God. They recognize that's a power beyond their gods. And then they can't even keep themselves safe from the finger of God because he makes boils sprout on their bodies. Not only are they powerless to replicate the works of God, demons are also ultimately powerless to stop them. But in his battle against Christians, Satan employs powerful fiends. So when Satan, when, when there's, there's a reason that in Ephesians 6, God says, put on the armor to fight these cosmic powers and these spiritual forces. Not because they're not powerful, but because they are. Because you're going to need to armor up because they're not, it's not some, you know, B-squad. It's not some JV that, that is going to come against you. I mean, Satan, Satan is, is sending his fiends, he's arming them with his weapons, his tactics, and he's sending them against you. And they're powerful. So you've got to armor up. In his battle against the Christian, Satan employs these powerful foes. He sends his messengers into the world and against Christians, and they are powerful. So when it, when it comes to evil, we have to know the evil one, with all of his schemes, will use his dark angels to accomplish them, that they are as deceptive as he is, that they are just at good at deceiving, and that they are powerful, doing things you and I cannot do. Uh, And it's against these beings that the Bible tells us we're waging our war. It is because we're at war against them that God tells us to armor up. And, and it is because this is who we're battling that we have to say, Father, deliver us from evil. Because if I were to lay out, okay, guys, let's not call them demons. But if I were to lay out a, a group of bad guys and I'll say, all right, here's the general and here's the troops that he's sending. They're coming to do all the wicked things that we saw the general wanted to do to you. That's what he's sending these guys to do. They're very deceptive. They'll trick you uh, into thinking that you need to follow them. Uh, even while they're wanting to kill you, they're very deceptive and they're very powerful. So even when they can't deceive you, uh, they're very powerful and powerful to use the deceptions to deceive you. If I were to say that, you'd say, well, we better get ready. Right? We better, where's the armor, right? What do we need to do against that? That's exactly how the Bible describes the demonic. So, so that's why if this battle is coming and we hear about this, we would say, Father, deliver us from that. Father, deliver us from evil. 
All right, so what are the uses of knowing this about the demonic for the Christian? What are the uses of understanding the demonic other than just being able to, to listen to people talk about the demonic and go, yes, yes, no, that's not right, that's not right, that's right. You know, what is the uses of understanding the demonic for uh, the believer? What do we do with this knowledge about, about Satan's use of, of demons? Uh, well, the first one, like I just mentioned, is this is who we're battling. So this is why it's important, is because this is who we are battling. The Bible lays out real ways that demons are at work and the threats that they can be, even to the people of God. And like Paul says, this is who you're at war against. You're not at war against flesh and blood. You're at battle against this. That's what you're fighting. And I think for the reason it's important for us as Christians to to realize this is normally for us, we think of our battle almost specifically against flesh and blood. When I go, when we talk about the problems out there and the losses of this world, the evil of this world, we normally think about flesh and blood enemies. We normally think about flesh and blood problems, flesh and blood people or institutions. We don't instantly think, oh, the demonic behind or driving those institutions, driving those things. But the Bible specifically tells us your war's not against flesh and blood. Your war's against these things. Notice he doesn't say in Ephesians 6, he didn't say your war is against flesh and blood and this too. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you battle flesh and blood and cosmic forces and, and cosmic powers and spiritual forces. He says, we don't battle against that. We battle this. The demonic can seem often for Christians because it is sometimes hijacked by certain groups. It can seem like a niche subject. Almost like, okay, you know, things can, you know, things can get even this crazy. Could get even this bad. Demons could get involved. Or, or one day you might one day you might see something super wild, super crazy, and that's when that's when finally a demon is at work. But that's not how Paul used it in Ephesians. He says this is the battle, every one of them. These are our enemies. This is who you will fight, who you are fighting, not flesh and blood, this. So if we're going to be effective in our battle, in waging the war, then we've got to take seriously who the Bible says our enemies are. And the Bible says our enemies are not flesh and blood, but cosmic powers and these spiritual forces in the heavenly places. That's who we're fighting. So it's important for us to know this so that we know who we're fighting. It's also important for us to understand the demonic. So we'll understand the danger of being deceived by the demonic and understand that that's a real danger. A real danger. It's real for you. It's real for us. Because think about it. If we think we could never be deceived even by the greatest of deceivers, then we won't protect ourselves against any deception. If we're so confident that even the greatest deceiver could not deceive us, then we're never going to fear the deceptions from anyone else in this world. If I don't think that, if I don't think that Satan himself could deceive me in any way, then I'm certainly not worried about what Jackson Barnes can do, right? And anything that comes off of his lips. If we're, if we're, this this is why it's a danger. If we, if we think that, if we think ourselves beyond the ability of being deceived, then we will not test every spirit. Test every single one of them. 
we actually make ourselves more vulnerable to deception from even lesser deceivers when we think that. Because if even demons can't deceive you, then why would you fear anyone else? So if you'll hear the warnings of the deceptions of Satan and the deceptions of the demonic, and if you can hear that warning and go, I don't have to worry about that, you're probably more at risk at deception than anybody else. You've got to believe that there are forces that want to move you away from the Lord. That want to lead you, like we saw with Satan, from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. And they'll do it, they'll lie to you, they'll deceive you, and they will even be able to use some amazing, unbelievable lies to do it. When we, when we have this fear, when we realize that's what we're facing, we're not being paranoid. We're not being paranoid when we think of those things. We're being the soldiers of God that Paul told us in Ephesians to prepare to be. This is who you're going up against, and this is how they fight, and they're very good at it. So you better put on all of the armor of God, and you better pray. That doesn't sound like something you say to someone who's going up against a bunch of mealy-mouthed weaklings. So we need to understand the danger of being deceived so that we will test everything against the word of God, not against signs and wonders, but against the established, firm word of God that stands forever. The other use of this is that demons are powerful, so don't take them lightly and don't take them flippantly. Why is it so important to learn just how powerful demons are? Well, you know, What is the part of the Lord's Supper that we're studying? Deliver us from evil. If if we don't find demons to be these objectively powerful enemies, like the Bible describes, set out to destroy us, then we won't feel the need when we hear the demonic or talk about the demonic or see the demonic. We won't feel the need to cry out, deliver us, deliver us from this evil. We won't feel the need to cry out, For God to rescue us. I mean, we don't do this very often, but think about how people respond to to angels when they see them. Every other time we see people respond to angels, angelic beings, they freak out, right? Well, these fiends are angelic beings too, even if fallen ones. Even if fallen ones. Well, how can we take demons too lightly then? How do we take them too lightly? What do you mean when you say take them too lightly? One is the great danger we have is mythologizing them, which is this, to treat the demonic as if it's not actually real, as if everything that, you know, I did this for a long time with the stuff, like, for example, with the Egyptians. There's no reason in the Bible for me to think that what the Egyptians did was not real at all, was not demonic. And I mean, all, and all these reasons to think that it was the gods of the, of the Egyptians behind what they were doing. And yet I, and so I was like, well, I couldn't really have been demonic. I couldn't really have been any sort of magic. They couldn't have really done anything. They didn't really have any real power. To, to take all of the demon stories as if they're just sort of primitive man's way of explaining the things they didn't understand, right? So, the, okay, a demon didn't really make that person blind. The demon didn't really make that person mute. A demon didn't really throw that person to the ground. Not really. A demon, a demon didn't give this person seizures. 
A demon didn't, a demon didn't cause this person to cut themselves. It didn't really. I was really, there's something else going on that now we would understand. And so often what we do is instead of, and someone asked me this the other day, they're like, well, so what do you do when someone's blind? Do you just instantly talk about possibility of a demon? I said, well, if you know him well enough, yeah. Uh, because why you don't want to instantly run to a non-spiritual as if the non-spiritual is the more real thing than the spiritual you don't want to just what we do is we go through everything else until everything else has been sort of talked about and then we go maybe it's demonic like it's our last recourse and we've normally gone through a gamut of doctors and issues and things before we ever begin to think maybe there's something going on here besides flesh and blood that we should maybe talk about. So we, we mythologize demons. And the truth is, the demonic would not mind that. Why? Why would the demonic not mind being mythologized? Because then they're fighting an enemy that doesn't even know they're at war. Right? Because then if they can get us to believe that, oh, demons don't really do anything anymore. That's what they did back then. That was just in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now we're... Where? I don't know. Uh, but that was, just, that was just in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And now, now we're in something else. Because what we can do, if we do that, then, then we're fighting a war against an enemy that we don't even know is there. Or even better, we're at war, and instead of facing the spiritual forces, we think all of our battle is against flesh and blood things, and we face that. Either way, the demons don't mind if we mythologize them. They don't mind if we treat them as not real. Is never a problem or maybe a problem, but in a very minuscule way, in a very minuscule situation, probably in a minuscule part of the world, sometime, somewhere, uh, somehow, maybe, maybe once, maybe in my life, has there been a demonic thing happen somewhere sometime? Now, we might only be aware of them that much, but to, to just automatically say, hey, no, I know, I know the Bible says our war is against them, but not really, not really. Most of our wars against flesh and blood, and that's simply not true. So we mythologize them. We domesticate them. We, we have domesticated the demonic. Uh, I mean, this is, we treat the demonic like something that can be tamed, uh, even employed as, as neat symbolism, as something less uh, than a scary enemy, something less than something that should be hated. An enemy of God enemies of every person on this earth. And this is why I do not like our school's mascot, our local school's mascot. I do not like it. I do not like that I can sit in my house and hear from my porch, let's go demons. Uh, that does not seem cool to me. Uh, and is part of the, is precise, and the reason it's not cool with me is precisely because I take the word of God seriously and what demons desire and what they're actually doing seriously. That they want people to be okay with them. They want people to think we're not a problem. I mean, if you can, I mean, think it, it's really funny. I thought, I was talking to someone this the other day, that if, if we tried to tell the school to change their name from the demons because demons are horrible and you should never cheer for them, th there would probably be more people offended that we were trying. Like, and if we said, ah, oh, let's change the name to, I don't know, Crusaders. There'd probably be more people offended that we would dare call ourselves crusaders. Uh, don't you know what the crusades did? And I'm like, I bet you don't. Uh, and, I, and, and don't you know? And, and I go, do you not know what demons do now? 
You know, uh, it's like, like how I could, I should be able to be like, you know, let's go whatever hate group you can think of. And that would still be less than what you're cheering on. Because what you're cheering on is the thing behind every hate group that you can think of. Uh, and, and, but that's, the, that's what's happened. We have domesticated these things. We have taken the single worst enemies of all of humanity and of our very God. And you'll have people at our local school on a Friday night cheering for them. No, not for them. But cheering their name. Go outside and cheer, let's go Hitlers, and see how that goes. Well, I'm not cheering for him. I'm just cheering for a group uh, that calls themselves the Hitlers. Uh, it's not going to go well. And yet we have so, so despiritualized this world. And as Christians become so desensitized to what the Bible calls a very real enemy of our God and of his people. But the, our local school is, our, our, our local government school is just in line with what the rest of the world is doing. The rest of, it's how the rest of the world treats demons. I mean, it's, it's almost Halloween. Just drive down a street. Look at how they slap the demonic on their houses. And I'm like, you should be less worried about the demon in your front yard and the demon sitting in your living room. The demon that has deceived you and enslaved you and got you to throw out this thing on your porch. Because why? Why do they do that? Because they think it's cute. They think it's funny. They don't realize that they are enslaved to death. You know, they might, I mean, Luther might have said the best way to, to, to get at the devil is to jape and mock him, to mock death. But non-believers aren't doing that. They're enslaved to it. We were, we were driving down the house and I was like, man, that's a, that's a testament to what's really got their heart. They don't realize that they've put their heart on their front yard. They've put their heart on their front yard for all of us to see. This is who has them. So we can't grow casual in our handling of the demonic. The, the fear in casually referencing the demonic isn't that we're going to suddenly become Satanists. It's that we'll quit being on guard. I said, we'll quit being ready. It's not, I, I don't, I'm not afraid that everyone at school, that next week we're going to go from let's go demons to then they're going to be slaughtering a goat with a pentagram on the 50-yard line. That's not what I'm afraid of. I don't think that's a great fear. But what is the fear is that people will quit worrying about the demonic. They'll quit seeing those things as real and then seeing really all the spiritual things as real. I mean, if we can think the enemies of God aren't real, then it's not very far to think that God himself is not real. It's that we'll forget, oh, that's my enemy. That's our enemy. I mean, can you imagine people in the 80s? We said, hey, I've got a great idea. Let's change our school's mascots to the Soviets. Let's call ourselves the commies. Can you imagine anybody in the night, any school ever doing that? No way. That's our enemy. And yet at some point in, in the history of our city, Someone came up and said, let's change our name. And they said, what to? And they said, demons. And everyone went, okay. Okay. Yet demons are our enemy. And the enemies of all the people in those stands. And we've got to make sure it's not just true. I don't want this to be like a crusade. I can't believe they do that on Friday nights or whatever. Or during basketball season or whatever. Like the problem is often we as Christians don't treat them as real enemies. I mean, I bet, if, I bet if the entire Christian church and begs thought of them as real enemies when that first came up, it would have been brought up and shot right down real quick. 
but it wasn't. These are the people who hate your God and want people to leave worship of him. That's who these things are, these beings are. The fear for us is not that we'll start worshiping the devil. The fear and the danger that it warned about is that they'll just lead us away from God. Diminish our love of God ever so slightly until before we know it, we've got something else entirely that is our God. Something else that we're devoted to. So if our view of demons is so small that more often in your life you've cried out, let's go demons, than you have deliver me from demons, there's probably something wrong with your theology. There's probably something wrong. If you've cheered for the demonic more than you've cried out to God, save me from the demonic. Because they're very real enemies of God's people. But the other danger for the Christian is the ditch on the other side of the road, and that's to divinize them. That's to make them divine. So the error of the world is in treating demons like gods when they're not. The trouble for Christians is to treat demons uh, and what they do as on par with God. So maybe you're not one of those who's, you're like, oh, I would never do that. But maybe what you've done is you have made demons as if they are as powerful as God. Listen, if if God is real, then we have no reason to ultimately fear the demonic. If our view of demons is so large, as Christians, we cannot treat demons as if they're as powerful as our God. We don't want to go from one side all the way to the other side. So if our view of demons is so large that that, that we, we, we fret and worry instead of crying out, God, deliver us, or when we cry out, you know, Father, deliver us from evil, and we're worried, and we're not sure God's going to deliver us. We're not sure God's can deliver us. We're not sure there might be some, some doubt as to who's going to win when God tries to deliver us. Then we need to rework our understanding of the demonic as well. So when understanding the demonic, don't make them too small. Don't mythologize them, but also don't make them the gods that they are not. Don't act as if when God tries to deliver you, he may not be able to. Because God is God and they are not gods. And so, so with that, the last thing we would say is, uh, the last use is to not be afraid. Uh, do not be afraid because Christ has triumphed over our enemies. Listen to what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's why we can confidently pray, Father, deliver us from evil because in Christ he already has. Let's pray. Just take a moment and think about how we've thought about our spiritual enemies. One of the things that that we often have to confess uh, is, have we been aware of who our real enemy is? 
Have we read those passages in Ephesians where it says your enemy is not flesh and blood, but cosmic powers, spiritual forces in the heavenly places. And yet there is a, there's a tendency for us to ignore the spiritual component of who we're fighting and what we're fighting. Have you turned the, the, the battles of this world into battles between mere flesh and blood? Do you, do you worry more about what your fleshly enemies might be scheming than what the forces behind them are scheming? Are you just needing to ask God, God, open my eyes to see who my real enemies are, to understand what the real battle is, to understand there's more to this world than just this world. And then pray and ask God to protect you from deceptions because they are powerful. They can be subtle and they can be so powerful. We saw just how Satan deceives us into thinking that, you know, the good guys are bad guys and good things are bad things and bad things are good things and bad guys are good guys. And the demonic can do that in so many little areas of our life and do it powerfully can fool us into being the type of people that we should not be because we believe these lies about these things. It doesn't have to be that a demon convinces us to set up an idol of wood or stone. He just has to get us to act less like Christ. To treat others like Christ would not treat them and to make excuses for why we do. To make excuses for why it's okay. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. And the whole time thinking, well, I could never be deceived and certainly never thinking, maybe it's the demonic trying to deceive me. Beware of these deceptions that the Bible tells you to beware about. We, we are so worried about demons jumping out and saying, boo. But the greater threat involves the attacks they do where we don't even recognize they're there. It's like when God opened their eyes to see the angelic forces at work and the might of them. In Ephesians, God is opening our eyes to see there are demonic forces at work against you. You better armor up and you better pray. So today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. Pray right now that you would put the armor on. Pray that you would armor up. Pray that you would put that armor on and that you would stand. Like Ephesians tells you to do, like Paul tells you to do there. Put on the armor of God so that you may stand firm. But then what do you do? You pray at all times. Praying at all times. With all supplication for yourself, for your brothers and sisters. Pray, pray, pray. And what do you pray? What do we pray? Father, deliver us from evil. And God, that's what we ask you today, Father. We ask that you would deliver us from evil and that we'd understand what the evil is that we face, that we would, however we need to reorient our minds, Father, we pray that you would hedge us before and behind, that we would not go too far or too short in understanding exactly how the demonic is at work, that we would not be glib, but we also would not uh, divinize uh, the demonic either. So, Father, help us to be circumspect, help us to be wise, help us to test every spirit, lest we be deceived. Help us to serve you, help us to armor up, to stand firm, and then to pray. 
Because not only do you give us the armor, Father, you give us yourself. And that's why we know we have won and will win this battle. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.